listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You're listening to the NASP Podcast. This specialty pharmacy podcast is a collaboration with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy and the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The mission of the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy is to improve specialty pharmacy practice by promoting continuing professional education and certification of specialty pharmacists while advocating for public policies that ensure patient access to specialty medications. As the healthcare industry's leading podcast dedicated to the pharmacy profession, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is proud to bring our listeners the NASP Podcast in collaboration with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy. Navigating the patient journey in specialty pharmacy, this has been a podcast series. This has been really special. Acela Health helped us put this together through the NASP. We're here at the NASP 2022 event, and I'm turning this over to our host, Mike Baldzicki. Mike, thank you so much for putting this together and being here today. No, Todd, thank you. I mean, what a great atmosphere we're here live at the National Association, especially pharmacy. Again, I want to give a, a shout out to Sheila Arquette and the NASP uh, committee and, and staff for allowing us to have this live venue here and along with PPN. Uh, what a great venue. We're kind of excited. I can't believe we're actually here wrapping up the last series <laughs> of our person. patient journey mapping um, and, and being able to do this live with you. It's been great to see everybody again. We've been... Um, We've been apart long enough. Um, I'm so pandemic out. It's brought up a lot of um, a, a lot of amazing and good has come from something so horrible as the pandemic. And specialty pharmacy has risen to the top in in our healthcare system. Really drilling down into specific rare disease states where lots of pharmacists and um, and physician care teams know that uh, time is of the essence. So the leverage of technology, the leverage of processes and workflows, the leverage of prior authorization and reimbursement, this all plays into it. And Mike, you and your team at Excella Health have really done an amazing job on the series that we're gonna kind of round out today. I want you to introduce our guest uh, to our listeners um, now at the NASP. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm actually very honored to have uh, Donovan Quill, and I'll allow him to introduce himself. Uh, part of this podcast, and especially at the last end, just because of his broad uh, background and skill set. But you know, being a part of that patient journey mapping personally, and you'll hear that through uh, his own words. But you know, as you said, we're kind of wrapping this all up. We had some great uh, panel members in the, the prior series, and, and having Donovan here to kind of talk to you know the overall patient experience and, and why does it matter in this space. You know, Donovan can speak from real-world experiences, but really speaking from uh, also his background in the specialty pharmacy space, I'm kind of excited to have him here. Donovan? Thanks, Mike. Um, and thanks, Todd. The, uh, it's great to be here. Great to be live. I'm, yeah. I'm looking around watching people watch us. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, You're in a fishbowl. You know, usually sitting in an office or sitting on the phone or Zoom meeting doing these in, that's in right. a studio. And right now no we're pressure, live no and pressure. out in person, but it's, uh, it's wonderful. It's uh, it's a great experience and uh, really happy to be here, really happy to take on this topic. Um, just to introduce myself real quick, Donovan Quill, Executive Vice President of Growth Strategy and Business Development for Terrabellum. Uh, it's an Acela Health family of companies um, and just really happy to be here to talk about something near and dear to my heart is that patient journey. So. No, and I think with that, Donovan, I mean, you and I have been here all week uh, starting on Monday, been sitting in the sessions, been hearing 
a lot of talk about especially pharmacy and, and more importantly the patient, right? And and I think that's our first, you know, to me my first discussion around you know, why this topic in itself doesn't matter. And I think it really does, especially nowadays with all the digital, you know, therapeutic tools that we're, we're now trying to get into with healthcare, but how to apply that to the patient and where does it matter from that perspective? Yeah, so looking at from a patient standpoint, and, you know, I'll bring a lot of my personal experience into this. Um, you know, I not only am I in the industry, but I'm also, you know, a family member and caregiver and somewhat of a patient. Uh, my family has a disorder called uh, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. And just, uh, I, wouldn't do, I wouldn't do it justice if I didn't give a little educational background behind it, but it's a uh, genetic disorder um, that affects you, either your lungs in um, adults with, through emphysema or uh, liver for younger adults or older adults with cirrhosis and liver cancer. So um, patients who, you know, smoke or, you know, around, smoke or not smoke or around uh, will develop emphysema at a lot earlier age. Um, and see their lungs decline. My dad had a double lung transplant in 2006, which is one of the reasons why I got into you know the pharmaceutical healthcare space, um, and try have done tried to been a patient advocate ever since. So, patient advocate by blood, by birth, by gene, um, and really try to look at everything we do and every program we design uh, through Cell Health and every program that we help on. Um, how do we look at that and how do we do right by the patient? So. You know, and, and I, I'm a big believer in there's, there's, as we see technology, there's the right mix of technology and personal touch. So we never want to get away from having that personalization for the patient, but technology can help us advance a lot of the things we do in decision-making processes for that patient journey. Now, and I think you bring it a, you know, a full circle of that experience, and I think why Excel Health and our family companies really make sense. I mean, you know, even since my inception here, and I know Dia Balazzi, our CEO founder, really believes in, in the settings of the foundation of Excel Health and our family of companies is we don't lose sight of that patient. It's mm-hmm. got to come first, and I know there's a... You know, many entities out there that really say that, but they do they truly put those tools and utilities and concepts into play? And I think that's what we do within Excel Health and our family companies because it does matter, you know? And I think, too, we're in a, a healthcare ecosystem of disruption and innovation, and we're just starting to grab around that concept of digital therapeutics and these tools and consumer engagement opportunities to, you know, manage this patient care coordination journey you know, I would love to hear from your experience of how do you apply that, not only with the organizations you've been in with and what you've seen, but your own ex- personal experience. Yeah, so, you know, when you, when you start looking at digital therapies, you start looking at how to utilize patient engagement modules, patient engagement tools to make the right decisions. You kind of have to look at what the, what the disorder is or what the disease state is or what therapeutic area you're in. So you can really look at it and, and make differences in, in multiple ways. So one of the areas that we really focus on are the orphan, ultra-orphan, gene therapy, specialized therapies. And it's a little different than your patient population of like 500,000 patients where you use an AI to figure out what pharmacy or what their patients are eating or drinking or doing, you know, by purchase, by purchase habits to when we're using digital health to make sure that patients are being compliant, are understanding their medications, have the educational tools at their fingertips because in the orphan, ultra-orphan, and rare disease space in gene therapy, you may never ever, you know, your, your physician, you may be the only patient in your physician's office that's diagnosed with that, that disorder or that, that, you know, genetic background. And having the tools at your fingertips from a, 
you know, an app standpoint is, is key. Having the tools also to pull up, you know, educational materials from the physician is, is something that's, you know, that you need. And then also having that, again, we, we, we say we want to have that personal touch. Having that person as a lifeline that's back at the office, you know, your care coordinator, your pharmacist, is really a, a tool that's, you know, second to none. They're walking that journey beside you. And however you need to get in touch with them, whether it's through like a quick shot email, whether it's a phone call, whether it's an, a, you know, a response on an app or saying, hey, I'm working tomorrow, but I have a break between 12 and 1 and somehow communicating, saying, call me at 1 o'clock. I have some questions for you. So using those things are, are key. But then you also have, you know, when you have a patient who has, let's say, you know, heart disease or has like, you know, a genetic form of emphysema like alpha 1. You want them to exercise. So now we have wearables that can actually tap into some of those engagement tools that show physicians like, hey, I'm wearing my oxygen. I'm going out and I'm walking around the block. My FEV1 is, you know, stabilizing or dropping or, you know, wherever, but I'm putting in the work. So therefore, what else can we do? What are some of the other things we need to look at? Is my diet right? Is my ex are my exercise patterns the right way? Am I exercising too much? Am I, you know, following the protocols that you want? And if we can tie all those things back, it will make that, you know, that office visit even easier for the doctor. It'll keep the compliance on the medication a little bit better. It'll keep the compliance in your lifestyle a little bit better. And then we start producing real-world outcomes and real-world evidence to show all of these things help the patient not become more compliant with their current therapy, but all their other therapies as well. And we've done some studies on that, and we've been able to pull some of those things based on all of the you know, technology we've, been, we've used to gather those, those, that, that data. Yeah, and Donovan, you bring up a good point, an even personal point. I mean, I, I've been in this business 24 years, and a lot of us and our colleagues here and even at NAS, you know, I think we all get that component, what specialty pharmacies really do and drive on the patient journey mapping and how does that play. But I think now we're, we're entering a, a point of, again, digital, digital engagement, where does specialty pharmacy play a role, and what players or key stakeholders, I, call, I say, really need to come in, in, into fruition of that. And, you know, I know you and I have been in front of many, many different manufacturers, particularly, you know, manufacturers that are now entering into the rare disease, orphan drug space, gene and cell therapies, where the traditional ways they do things from a market access or pre-commercialization right. really don't apply to the concept that you got to drive in rare disease patient journey mapping. And I, I think that's what it's going to be interesting to see how pharma or life science companies really get engaged yep. with the specialty pharmacy segment of driving the importance of patient management and utilizing our services that we've always applied, but more and more in this space. Yeah. So, you know, great point. And one of the, one of the areas that I, that I believe has been really disconnected in the world of pharma is as you're bringing a drug to market. So you have your clinical phase, and the clinical people have all this rich, rich data information. They're, they're talking to patients. They're understanding things. They're using technology to gather some of this data. They're, they're, they're really understanding that patient, what they go through, in a time frame that is so key really early and often in that, in that one, the diagnosis of the disease state, two, the, the innovation of the therapy, and then three, what other things are there to help that product be approved by the FDA? And then there's this disconnect when it becomes commercially available, right? So we almost 
have two separate areas that never that don't talk to each other. And one of the things that we do through Acela Health is we try to start working with you know some of these pharmaceutical companies and these patient groups. And sometimes it's a patient group where we work with the patient group and then go find a pharmaceutical company that'll back a study, right? Right. So we we help develop all of that information and understand what that patient journey is from diagnosis, treatment, clinical trial, and we and we take all that rich data and then we're able to build a commercial program that's for the patients, sometimes designed by the patient group to get the product directly to that patient. And you know, in, in the world of having, you know, seven, eight different vendors working with those patients, if you can streamline that and make it a one-stop shop for those patients to work with that travels with them from clinical trial all the way through commercialization and beyond, that, that team becomes a family. That, 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 it's not just, I'm your care coordinator, I'm your pharmacist. It's, they're my pharmacist. Like, they're my care coordinator. They're my, they're my farm tech. They're the people who've been with me from the beginning and they're the people that I'm trusting with my with to walk this journey with me. And this is a lot of times, with, especially for an acute product or a uh, chronic product, those patients are going to walk that journey the rest of their lives with them. You know, gene therapy even like you're going to want to manage that patient post therapy. You're going to because let's look at gene therapies. We only know what they do for the time that they were in the study. Like we're hoping that they last forever, but some of these gene therapies might only last five years, might only last 10 years, or we don't even know how long they'll, they'll work for, the, for these patients. You might need a booster later on. You might need you know, some, some backup therapies. But if we monitor those patients, we can find those things out. And if we're working with those patients from clinical trial through all the way through commercialization, you're getting better understanding. You're, you're creating those bonds. You're creating those, that synergy that you need from the patient care coordinators and pharmacists to really get the information you need to then report real-world evidence. Then you can look at payer strategies. You can look at warranties. You can look at you know, value-based contracting. You can look at all those things that will be there to show that the medication is efficacious, that the patient, if they're adherent, it works and it's and it saves their life and it even maybe will make them more compliant on everything else that's behind them and then the overall healthcare spend could go down like all of those things are there for that mapping of that patient journey no and you could bring up you know many faucets to me in regards to almost what we're doing in this industry particularly for the life science companies that may not have you know be a novartis with all the you know staffing and, and assets they have as a mm -hmm. large corporation they're very limited so we're almost in a phase with life science companies out of Boston or you know, California where it's a reteaching of what a product launch should be mm -hmm. in, in the rare disease gene cell therapy. Because as you went through all those faucets that, you know, of, of product archetypes that we got to really think of, there's also the financial modalities of it, right? Yep. You know, we're, we're looking at, you know, not a 50000 or $20,000 drugs. You mean gene cell therapies in themselves are two, three, four million dollars that we're going to start seeing coming in, in, in the spotlight. So I think, again, the reteaching of does an exclusive model really work? And I think that's what, you know, I know you and I particularly have been engaged with uh, life science companies, almost reteaching their market access teams and, and, and driving that concept of, what does a product archetype really mean for exclusive model and does it work? Because there are certain things that may not apply to that space of exclusive model, but I think we're seeing a shift in this market, particularly on rare disease and, and especially gene and cell therapies, that yeah. exclusive model has to go in it. And it can't go to the large ones, right? The large PBMs with right. their own specialty pharmacy. That doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, with these with these innovative gene therapies, these novel therapies in the orphan, ultra orphan space, um, you know, and especially the smaller patient populations, you need somebody who's going to be innovative, who can, you know, a partner that can really customize for those particular therapeutic areas. You also have to create expertise in those areas because you're going to need somebody who's going to have to, you know, navigate the payer landscape, navigate the prior authorizations, navigate them, you know, the the payment models. And secondly, you're going to have to start being innovative with your payment models. You, you know, when you're starting, you know, seven-figure price tag on some of these gene therapies, you're going to have to have something that's there for the patient to make it affordable, right? Something for the payer to make it affordable. And I know that, you know, it's one of the areas that, that you know, we've really, really tapped into is looking at some loan-based modeling. How do we make the, the, how do we create a loan-based model for the payers, for the physicians, and also for the for the manufacturers, the product manufacturers that and pharmaceutical companies that, you know, are going to, are going to basically back those loans and say, if the product works for a number of years, we're going to make sure that we're, we're going to help you guys out. And really have a, you know, a pay over time type of thing. So it's not just a one shot of, you know, $2 million. It's let's look at, you know, this and take it, you know, over time, maybe over a three or four year period and make it more affordable for, for payers, make it more affordable for patients. Um, you know, how do you help with, you know, going through the, you know, copay programs? How do you help with, you know, affordability with, you know, from a medical standpoint, a pharmacy standpoint, you know, can you split the costs? Can you do those things? So I think those are the things that, that really a lot of people have to understand that it can't be this big box that somebody goes to because we're dealing with novel, we're dealing with unique, we're dealing with therapies that need that extra handholding, we're dealing with patients who need to be, you know, cared for on a deeper level, we're dealing with the, you know, product manufacturers that need to be dealt with on a, on a you know, a, a cared for on a deeper level. They need more information, they need more, you know, real world evidence behind it. And then the payers, you know, you gotta take care of the payers. The payers are the ones that are making the decisions a lot of times. You know, doctors are prescribing it, but the payers are making the decisions. So we have to make sure that we have a model that doesn't, you know, destroy the payer system ecosystem either, because, you know, these are, these. it's, it's a time where we know that these therapies made for small patient populations just to get them approved are expensive. So we want to see that innovation continue going. And if, if there's not a, a payment model that can help that, we can, it could really hurt the, you know, the drug discovery business here in, here in the U.S. And I really believe that you know, some of the models that we put together to sell a health will really help. And I'm hoping other companies look at the same way. No, and you bring up a key word that you know I've heard a lot uh, at you know at NAS conference here live in, in the different sessions, but one particularly we deal with a lot uh, at Excel Health and our family of companies is the word payer, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's really because especially pharmacy has become so multifaceted. Um, even the definition of specialty pharmacy means what now? Right. And, and to me, you know, it, it's it's really dissecting it into four pillars. You got pharmacy benefit within specialty. You got the medical benefit. And, and now you have to attack two other areas very differently. It's that ultra-orphan rare disease and gene cell therapies. And, yeah. and again, what's happening in the payer space, particularly self-insured, direct-to-employer uh, agreements, um, the TPA market, right, um, is, is growing rapidly because they're pushing more out-of-pocket costs to the consumer. And so the payer's really looking at this from a you know, cost perspective. Uh, and I think they have to because, again, if you look at stats alone, the specialty pharmacy market by 2028 is going to be over... $850 billion in the U.S. alone. The infusion market is going to be a $150 billion market by 2030. And then you look at just digital therapeutics, $14 billion market. And now we enter in, in maybe hopefully Q4 this year, 
we're going to see five, maybe three new gene therapies. A couple of them just got approved um, this past week to maybe 70 by 2030 with yep. you know an average price tag, they say, by $3 million. So again, I think the importance of really outlining patient management, adherence, it's just not looking at drug costs and your AW discount and your rebate that applies. That model is doesn't address total cost of no. care. And I, I love from your perspective, just even as a patient, but what we have done next here at Cell Health, how do we address all those multifaceted components to really manage the patient properly? Yeah, th- you know, great, great questioning. You know, and, and I, what, it, what we have to look at is, you know, it's still a person. So we're, at the end, we're still working with a patient and a person and a family, right? So you look at all the things that go into a, a disease state, right? There's there's probably a host of comorbidities with every disease state we deal with, and you know, from from a big you know, disorder of, like diabetes to a benign disorder of like a really rare hypertension or a movement disorder. And what we really need to do is focus, always focus on that patient and then start building from that, what, do, what are those patient needs? What, are those, what, what do we need to do to make sure that that patient has the affordability? So, okay, let's look at a $3 million therapy. We can't, we can't even, you know, if, a pay, if one payer has all the patients under that $3 million, you know, therapy, it could be cumbersome for that payer. So how do we span that, that, that over time? And that's one of the things that I, we really need to really understand and, and push together. And at Cella Health, we do have a loan-based model that we've already launched that could help with that. I know there's some other folks out there that have done the same thing. We have to make sure that we're doing a good job as stewards of the of the pharmaceutical healthcare affordability industry is making sure that, that, that everybody's on the same page with that and we make that portable as patients change from insurance to insurance. And CMS has done a good job of putting some information out there about episode of care and things like that to make sure that it's gonna be affordable, but what we really need to do is push you know, the payers to have that understanding as well. Let's start looking at ways to, you know, understand why a patient needs therapy, understanding the disorder and understanding how to walk through that with the patient so they don't feel scared either, right? So a, pa- a patient sees a $3 million price tag, they might, they're, they're going to panic too, especially with the TPAs and the stop-loss carriers and the self-insured plans. They're going to go, I could bankrupt my school district. You know, a teacher with a genetic disorder, she goes, I could bankrupt my school district, you know? And Unfortunately, you know, they, they're somewhat right on that. So if we have understanding of, of how to take care of that in Acela Health, I know on the, on the payer side, we do those things, right? And more and more companies need to start looking at that. And more and more product manufacturers need to start looking at that as well and saying, how can we help too? And more of the payers have to understand, you know, this is a life-saving therapy. That patient's going to have this life-saving therapy and the comorbidities may go away. So that person then becomes not just you know, helping them with that one particular disorder, but they become more apt to being able to, to be a part of a part of society that they want to be a part of. They're able to go out into public. They're able to go and get a job. They're able to go and, and work. Take a kid, for example. You know, a, a child that, you know, has a disorder that's a, a debilitating disorder, and we have a gene therapy for that, and they're not now. Now that child can live a normal life. Like that, that's, those are the things that you look at. The parents can live a normal life. I mean, I, you know, I have, I, yeah. I have a neighbor who has a, a disabled child. When I say child, he's in his 20s now, right? And they've been caring for this child since you know, birth. And mom's given up a lot, dad's given up a lot, but we have a gene therapy that takes care of that disorder. Now the family 
is now experiencing a whole different lifestyle. So we have to be ready for all those things too. Certain people identify with you know having a disorder, having a certain thing, and when you cure that, or when you you know have a therapy that takes care of it, it's going to be tough for them. But from a financial standpoint, we have to be stewards of that. We have to be people that are innovative, and it's up to us to make sure that those you know cost affordable healthcare models are available. You know, whether it's loan based, whether it's warranty models, whether it's you know real world evidence, whether it's you know, tracking through technology. All of those things are our job in the pharmaceutical industry, under the pharmacy industry, and under the payer spectrum to make sure that we are always being innovative and pushing that forward. Yeah, and you, you bring up a good point, and Todd, this is probably near to and dear to your heart of what I'm going to say next is, you know, Donovan, you know, based on your background, it, it's always, you bring up a lot of, you know, key buzzwords, and one of them is good stewards. And you're only good as, you know, the stewards of your staff and to me, you know, what's really we're seeing a shift in is, you know, the educational piece and the pharmacy role that pharmacists play now in specialty pharmacy. And it's critical as we, you know, have these engagement uh, and educational components that are going to be needed, particularly in the rare disease and now gene cell therapy space. Yeah. The pharmacist role and your staffing model, how you do that is critical. And, and that's one of the things even with our life science partners. Uh, launching a rare disease or gene cell therapy, they got to understand the staffing model that's needed there, yeah. and and how you know that company either Excel Health or another specialty pharmacy that is going to be their vendor partner understands you know how many pharmacists are on staff, what's their education, are they specialized in specialty pharmacy, yep. like the NAS uh, certification programs and those type of things? Because I think they're critical now as we kind of really see this space evolve into you know, very unique and innovative areas of focus for the patient. Yep. Yeah, Mike, thanks for mentioning that because when I think of what Donovan's saying as a patient and as a family team member and as a care provider and as someone that understands the payer side, you're kind of like the golden um, you know, unicorn in this. Yeah. Where we can use you as a way of educating other specialty pharmacists who know that their patients and their patients' families and their payer partners are going through the same thing. As a unicorn, we need unicorns to become the thoroughbred, standardized, you know, pushing the healthcare forward, and it's pharmacists, especially pharmacists, that are going to do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm so proud of you, Mike, and what you're standing for, and Donovan, this has been amazing to like listen to you like vet this out for our listeners to say, here's why this is so special. Here's why this cannot be commoditized. Right. This is not a, um, you know, a, a three-month virus that you have and you have to be on an antibiotic. This is going to be part of your life for a long time, and therefore, especially pharmacists, has to be a part of your life for that same amount of time. Absolutely, and, and Todd, uh, Todd I, I want to thank PPN again and the partnership we formed with NAS and, and being out here at the live show, it's just a great feel and a great opportunity to kind of talk about this topic and, and wrap this series up. It's been a great journey in regards <laughs> to the patient journey mapping and we could, uh, hopefully could continue on with uh, more series like this. And Mike, I want to give a shout out to Estella Health for sponsoring this series. It's been very special for us to have this high caliber conversations that you provided and you did a lot of work on this series. So I want to say thank you, uh, Mike, to you as well. Thanks, Dad. I appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.